Do you remember Hanani from the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament? Hanani is first referenced in the second verse of that book. He is Nehemiah's brother, and he came up from Jerusalem with some others to report the conditions of the city of Jerusalem. Remember that Jerusalem is the capital city of Judah, which was the southern kingdom. After King Solomon, Israel had divided. Uh, the ten northern tribes became Israel, or remained Israel. The, the southern two became Judah, and so the land was divided, and the southern kingdom had a number of godly kings. The northern kingdom never had any after Solomon, and so they fell first, and the southern kingdom in 586 BC had fallen to the Babylonians. The Babylonians themselves would be conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire, and God would fulfill his promise to return the people of Judah back to the promised land after 70 years. And so exiles had returned to Jerusalem, but the condition of the city was underwhelming. It was difficult. The city walls and gates lay in ruins. And so Nehemiah is told about the conditions of the city, and you could imagine how that would grieve him. He grieved for the people of his uh, country. He grieved for the walls and, and wanted to see the city return to its previous splendor. And so he went up to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. The first few chapters of Nehemiah describe that building process and the way that they responded to opposition, the way that they had faith in the Lord and continued to remain steadfast in the task that the Lord had set before them. But at the end of chapter 6 in Nehemiah, we find that the wall has been rebuilt and the gates have been reestablished. Think about what this meant for the people. They would be able to defend themselves. They would be able to build a civilization to rebuild what had once been such a beautiful city. They would be able to defend it. The things that God had promised to do through his covenant people, he was going to be able to see come to pass. And so for Nehemiah, this is an exciting moment. But it's also an, a moment that is fraught with danger. Think about the opposition he had already faced, and now the walls have been rebuilt. Aren't, the enemies, aren't our enemies going to attack? Well, if they're going to attack, they're probably going to attack one of the gates. That is the weak spot on a wall. And so if you're Nehemiah, you want to appoint someone you can trust. You want to appoint someone to guard over the gate who you know is unmovable. Somebody who is going to contend for the very city itself. And so if you're Nehemiah, who do you select? Was well, Nehemiah looked around and he knew everything that was at stake. He knew that everything hinged on this decision. He decided at that moment that he would select his brother, Hanani, to be one of the individuals who stands guard at the gate. In Nehemiah chapter 7, it describes why this is the case. It says, After the wall had been rebuilt, and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. Now think about those qualifications and the reasons that he selected him. And I want you to ask, why would I select anyone for an important role in a company if I owned a business? Would you select someone who wasn't trustworthy, someone who never showed up on time, someone who was not dependable and completing their tasks? No, you would want to find someone who was trustworthy, someone who had integrity. And that is exactly why Hanani was selected for this very important task. 
As we look at the world today, we know that people are watching. We know that we are able to advance in our careers and other opportunities that are set in front of us if we are people of high character, if we possess integrity. And while we will spend time today talking about how other people observe our integrity, they observe our character, we're going to spend more time today talking about why this matters to the Lord. Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at faith in our daily lives. And we're going to ask the question, how can you integrate spiritual practices into your life in a way that will glorify the Lord, strengthen your testimony, and overflow in blessings in your life? And so we're going to talk, for instance, next week about living with generosity. Uh, But today we're talking about living with integrity, what it means to be a man or a woman of integrity. And I'm just going to share a definition with you from HelpfulProfessor.com. I thought this definition was pretty good. It says, Integrity involves keeping promises, taking responsibility for one's actions, being honest in all transactions, treating others with respect, and following rules. It is a trait highly valued in personal, professional, professional, and societal contexts as it fosters trust, reliability, and a sense of moral character. All of the definitions that I looked at uh, as related to integrity involved uh, being consistent, doing the same sort of things in private that you do in public. It involves uh, moral characteristics such as honesty and honor. And so those were parts of various definitions that popped up. And I really like the definition that I just read because it talks about what it looks like but also what it creates. Um, This is a trait that uh, is expected of so many people and it is viewed favorably. And I believe that it opens up opportunities for us in all categories, in all avenues of life. Uh, We want to be people who have opportunities open up to us, whether it is friendship, where people trust us enough to walk this life's path with us. They trust us enough to confide in us. Whether it is in our professional lives where our employers can trust us with certain tasks because they know that we are able to complete them. Above all, we want our children, if you have children or your grandchildren, you want people who look up to you to believe you when you speak. We want people who believe the promises we make because they have seen that trait over and over displayed in our lives that we are going to keep the promises that we have made. And so as we talk about integrity today, uh, we do understand that all practices, everything that we do, what we say, the way that we behave, uh, whether we describe those actions as spiritual or not, all all of our practices communicate what we believe about God. When we walk in integrity, we communicate at least the following things about what we believe about God himself, and in response to that, what we know to be true about ourselves. So I'm going to share with you five things that we communicate about God and about ourselves uh, when we walk in integrity. The first is that I fully belong to him. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.23 tells us, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for your human master, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ 
you are serving. So this principle first, that I belong fully to him. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So that's the first one. The second is, he sees my life and my works. And we're going to spend more time talking about this today. But it's the acknowledgement that God sees what I do in private. He sees the condition of my heart. He understands the thoughts that I'm having. The idea that, well, nobody else saw it. I got away with it. It doesn't matter how I live in private as long as I maintain a certain status of life in public. Uh, That view does not fly when we understand that God sees everything that we do. The third is that I trust him. I, I trust that God sees my heart condition. I trust that he sees my motivations. And so he understands the decisions that I'm making. And if everybody else out there believes things about me that are not true, God knows my heart and I stand before him. The fourth is that my testimony matters. It matters what we do in private. It matters what we do in public. Other people see the strength of the local church hinges upon the individual members of that church being faithful in their walks with Jesus Christ and growing, growing in holiness, growing in their faithful Christian service. If that begins to break down, the local church is harmed as well. And the fifth is that God is sovereign. Uh, The idea sometimes that, well, I can have different motivations. I can be puffed up with pride. I can chase after all sort of things because, you know, I've worked really hard for things. And in private, I've been a good person. uh, But God hasn't rewarded me the way that I believe that he he should. So I'm going to go ahead and just force things on my own way. And even if I do immoral things to climb up the corporate ladder, for instance, well, so be it because I deserve more. No, as followers of Jesus Christ, we say, well, God is sovereign. I am where I am in life, and God is good right where I am, regardless of the season or the challenges that I face. And so I entrust myself to him, knowing that he sees my integrity, he is glorified through my life, and I will entrust whatever outcomes uh, I find in this life, I will entrust those fully to him. So those are a few uh, beliefs that we ought to have that will sort of shape uh, the way that we live our lives. Now, I believe we are on good footing when we embrace those convictions or understandings of who God is and who we are in turn. I also think that there are principles in Scripture that we should consider when we talk about integrity. So we're going to talk in just a few minutes about how to grow in integrity, but I think that what we believe shapes the way that we behave. And so we need to ask, well, what does the Word of God say about integrity? That's so important as a starting point. I want to share first that we are commanded to be people of integrity. As we exercise the spiritual gifts that God has given us, we are supposed to do so in a consistent, honorable way. Titus, for example, was commanded to teach with integrity in Titus chapter 2, verse 7. We are commanded as followers of Jesus Christ to walk in our integrity. Uh, The second principle that we find in the Word of God is that others observe our integrity. Now, I shared this earlier about Hanani, and this is true. Hanani's brother, Nehemiah, observed his integrity. He saw his consistency of character and said, if there's somebody I'm going to put at that gate, it is going to be somebody I can fully trust. And as I shared, if it Uh, Whether it relates to a romantic partner, uh, to a boyfriend-girlfriend, whether it relates to, of course, then selecting a spouse, uh, 
character matters. Somebody wants to find somebody who they can trust. Do I trust this person to go through life with me, to uh, complete the goals and the desires that I have of life with me? Uh, We select friends this way. Do I trust somebody uh, to be my friend? Can I confide in them? Your employer uh, looks at you and, and has that question, whether they verbalize it or not. Do I trust him? Do I trust her? Or they already have the answer to that question, and your tasks are a reflection of that. Others observe our integrity. In Job chapter 2, verse 9, Job's wife actually asks him, are you going to continue to walk in your integrity? Curse God and die, uh, which is, of course, terrible advice. But uh, in, in that moment, they said, look, everybody sees that integrity matters to you. It's something that you have held as a as a high standard for your life and you have walked in and everybody has seen that and then she challenges him to not live that way which is so negative but while that's a negative example it does show us that people are aware of our desire to walk in integrity the third is that the righteous judge takes note of our integrity in Psalm chapter 7, verse 8, it says, Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Now think about that prayer for just a moment. Could you say that prayer to the Lord? Could you say with a straight face, with a, with a clear, clear conscience, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, vindicate me. There's people saying nasty things about me, and that's the context of of Psalm chapter 7, harming me, wanting to undermine the position that God has me in in life. But God, you know the truth because you know that I'm a person of integrity. You know that I keep my promises. You know that I take responsibility for my actions. You know that I'm honest in all transactions, that I treat others with respect, that I am consistent in following rules. To go back to the definition that I provided earlier, are you able to say that before God, knowing that he sees everything that you do and he knows your thought life, he knows your heart? Well, the psalmist was able to, but then he describes the way that the righteous judge, he does take note of our integrity, but he takes note also of those who do not possess integrity. Listen to what it says in Psalm 7, verses 14 through 16. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own Heads. Now, now that phrase I, I think is fascinating. Whoever is pregnant with evil. This is someone who, you know, they might be concealing it early on. You know, when people are, when women are early on in their pregnancy, you can't tell it's concealed. And then at some point it becomes quite obvious uh, that somebody is pregnant. And that's kind of the idea there is, you know, there's a, a time in life where people can have wicked motivations they can have, and by the way, it's not sharing pregnancy as a negative negative example. The Lord has commanded us to be fruitful and multiply, but just for the sake of the visual that it provides, and it's an important one, that idea that something can be conceived and then it becomes quite obvious at a later date, um, a due date, some might even say, uh, is important, where he says, look, you can conceal your evil, your wicked motivations. You can conceal your pride for some time. You can live a secret double life even. It amazes me sometimes how people have secret families and things. We'll see these headlines. People can live uh, a duplicitous life for a time. 
but inevitably the truth comes out and it says and it gives birth to disillusionment that people are going to look and say but I thought that I knew you I thought that I knew what you were like and and now that the truth has been exposed everything that I believed about you is false it's negative where do we go from here? Well, inevitably, it brings about somebody's destruction. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. See, God takes note of our integrity. And it says uh, in that verse, uh, the psalmist cried out and said, Lord, vindicate me. He trusted in God's character. He says, look, you judge between the righteous and the wicked. You know who are righteous who walk according to your plan. You know who in their hearts worship you, and Lord, you will vindicate them. But the wicked have no such vindication. Instead, their actions, when they come to fruition, actually bring about their demise. Even the things that they plotted against others come back on their heads. The fourth principle here is that God is pleased. God is pleased with integrity. In First Chronicles 29, verse 17, we find David praying, and he's praying as the temple is being built uh, under Solomon's direction. And he says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. The psalmist in that moment, well, not, he's not the psalmist, but David, sorry, he, he just prays and he, and he offers this prayer up to God. He says, look, you are pleased with integrity. Do you want to do things that honor and glorify God? Do you want to do things that put a smile on the Lord's face? He says, then, then walk in integrity, be consistent, walk an honorable path, live as though God is watching, as though it matters to him. Now, as the psalmist in Psalm chapter 7 had cried out and said, Lord, vindicate me, uh, and I had talked about how God takes note of our integrity, the fifth thing I'm going to share with you, the fifth principle, is that the psalmist used his integrity as the basis for his prayers for safety. In Psalm 25, uh, verse 21, it says this, May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Now, it's, it's notable that in this psalm, the word Lord is in all caps, meaning that he's referencing, of course, the covenant God of Israel by name. And he says, Lord, you have made promises to our people. You've made promises to me, and you will keep them. You will protect me. My hope is in you, and because my hope is in you, my integrity and uprightness will protect me. Well, how, how, does, how does integrity protect us? By the way, this isn't the only time that that is promised. In Proverbs 10.9, it says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. So how, how does integrity protect the righteous? Well, it protects us in a few ways. The first, it protects us from hidden sin. You know, as a pastor, I can tell you that there have been a number of times in various ministries in which I've served where somebody's sin has been exposed. Somebody's been living a secret life. They've been searching things on the internet that they shouldn't have been. They've been having conversations they shouldn't have. They spread lies or gossip they shouldn't have. And the rumor came back around or people found out or whatever whatever took place, their sin was exposed. In those moments, you would think that you would see a lot of shame. 
But can I tell you what I also find quite often? There's a lot of relief. There's a sigh of relief. I don't have to hide anymore. I can deal with it. I can finally face it. Now that everybody knows I'm not afraid of people finding out, so I can go and find help. Well, can I tell you today that if you're battling a sin, you think it's hidden, nobody else is going to find out, nobody loves you, nobody cares, if that's what you believe, can I tell you that's a lie from Satan? God doesn't want you to be alone in your battle. He wants you to be truthful. He wants you to face it. He wants us to confess our sins to one another. We're told to do that in James. And when we do that, we're, we're no longer protecting some hidden sin. Instead, we're walking in victory over it, and we can find accountability partners. So it protects us from hidden sin. The second way that it protects us, our integrity protects us, is that it protects us from false identities. Uh, because sin is hidden in, in the cases that I just described, people start to have false identities also. This is who I really am at my core. I am these decisions that I make in private. I am these conversations that I have. I am these thoughts that I'm having. But when they come to light, they, they die. When they come to light, they are nailed to the cross and they are no longer. Our identity is in Christ Jesus. We don't have to embrace false identities. And so we, when we walk in integrity, when we are consistent, we don't have false identities. We don't have anything to hide and try to protect. Everything that we do is in the light, and we are able to find help even when we do stumble. And by the way, all believers do stumble in many ways. The third is that it protects us from false accusations. Now, it doesn't protect us from people making false accusations, okay? You, you may find false accusations in your family, in the workplace, and tragically, maybe even in church. But at the end of the day, because God sees who you are, and he knows your thought life, he knows your heart condition, you will stand before him. You will not stand before them. You will stand before him, clothed in his righteousness, and God is the rewarder of the just. But further, I believe that in this life so often the lies that are said about people, they they are exposed. The truth comes out most of the time, not every time I know, but most of the time the, the truth does come out at some point in this life. And the person who made those false accusations, um, their their violence comes down on their own heads, as Psalm seven verse sixteen described. Uh, and the fourth is that it gives those uh, in our lives confidence to stand with us and defend us. So when people see that we are consistent in character, that we try the best that we can to make honorable decisions, that we say, you know, I know that there's a righteous judge. I know that God delights in seeing integrity, so I want to be pleasing to him. Then if somebody makes a false accusation, people can come alongside our path and say, no, I really know him. I don't believe this for a moment because I know his character. I know her character. I know that she wouldn't uh, intentionally do something like that. So I, I don't believe it. So it becomes sort of a hedge around us protecting us, even protecting our testimony because people see the way that we live our lives. The next principle that I want to talk about integrity from the Word of God is that integrity guides the righteous. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3, it says... It says this. It says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. 
And the word duplicity there in Hebrew actually means slipperiness. Uh, they are on a slippery plane where they can stumble and fall, be washed away, be destroyed quickly. But the upright, uh, they are secure and they are guided by their integrity. Well, how does integrity guide us? Well, the first is that it doesn't allow us to be guided by false motivations. So when we walk in integrity, we are not guided by how we feel. We're not guided by what the crowd says. You know, the crowd decides what is pleasing or what the good is, quote-unquote, of our day or what we should strive after. Um, We're not guided by pride. How can I defend my own? How can I project some identity or some value in life that I'm chasing after? How do I make it all about me? No, the, the righteous, as they walk a path of integrity, they are not motivated by those things. Instead, integrity guides them. And so when somebody is guided by integrity, they are guided by truth, by honor, and by consistency. We want people to know what to expect out of our lives. We want them to see consistency in our lives. We want them to know that what we strive to do corresponds with the truth. We are not spreading lies or gossip. We're not making false accusations. We're not doing things out of a heart of pride or out of selfish motivation. We're not doing things just because our culture says that they are good. Instead, we're asking what is pleasing to God. And that is the driving motivation of our hearts and of the decisions that we make. And the final principle as it relates to the Word of God uh, and as we can learn about integrity is that Jesus was called a man of integrity. And he was called a man of integrity in the Gospels of Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark. And so I think it's important when we ask, you know, what is Jesus like? What would Jesus do? To ask that question from the 90s, you know, everybody had that bracelet, WWJD. Uh, He would walk in in integrity. Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, of course, that's true because he's God. Uh, But even as he walked the face of this earth, of course, fully God and fully man, yet he never wavered. He didn't change He was consistent. The disciples knew what to expect of him. When he made a promise, he kept it. When scripture made promises of him, he fulfilled those scriptural promises. And so Jesus was a man of integrity, and we need to increasingly be people of integrity. So the question becomes, how can I grow in integrity? Um, I'm going to share with you just a few ways today that I believe you can grow in integrity. So even if you have stumbled, if you say, you know, uh, I've been pretty consistent, people know what I'm like, but but I want to continue to walk that path, these would be helpful points for you. And so I'm going to share seven with you today. The first is to make sure that you have a good working knowledge of who God is. Again, so much goes back to who God has revealed himself to be. The fact that he sees our hearts, the fact that he is the righteous judge, the fact that he vindicates the righteous. Do you believe those things? If you really believe them, your life is going to be shaped by that. If you reject any of those truths, then you will probably see a breakdown in your consistent character as well. The next uh, would be to ask, would the decision I am making bring honor to Jesus Christ, or would it be a stumbling block to others? So before you make decisions, allow that to be the question that you ask. Is this something that is going to be honorable to Jesus? Again, not... 
will the people around me think that this is a good thing? Or is this something that is going to result in my financial gain? Instead, the question is, does this bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ? The third is, when making decisions, ask, what is my motivation? And am I willing to pay the consequences for the action I'm about to make? So if I'm going to gossip about somebody, if I'm going to be somebody's friend to their face, and I'm going to listen to them, and I'm going to say, yeah, I'll keep it confidential, but then I'm going to go out and gossip about them, am I willing to pay the, the consequences when that gossip inevitably comes back, and it will? Am I willing to pay the, the consequences? Am I willing to hurt my brother or sister in Christ because they know they can't confide in me, and I shared something that was private or secret about them? What is my motivation? Am I motivated by pride uh, about making myself look better and putting other people down? Am I motivated by financial gain or by power or privilege or whatever it might be? We need to ask those sort of questions of ourselves, and we need to ask them not just when we're facing a difficult situation, but habitually. That needs to be a point as we read through the Word of God and we read passages that talk about telling the truth and talk about God uh, looking at the righteous and, and hearing their prayers. Are we asking, Lord, is that true of me? Do I have uh, clean hands? Do I have a pure heart? Do I have a clean conscience before man and before God Almighty? The next is to take ownership of bad decisions you make. Now, I don't want to share a spoiler, but you are going to make bad decisions. You have and you will again, and I have as well. Now, I don't say that in a trivial way. I don't say that lighthearted, like, well, it doesn't matter. We all sin. You sin. I sin. Who cares? Let's continue sinning. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, though, that there is a reality that we do stumble and we strive for holiness and we're growing in sanctifi sanctification. We're increasingly becoming like Jesus Christ, but there is that humble recognition that we will stumble again and we might do things that harm other people. We might say things or do things that are sinful. We will. But when we do that, it's important that we ask for forgiveness. It's important that people see that when we stumble, that we don't get puffed up in pride. We don't push people away and say, who are you to judge me? Or how dare you question the decision that I made? No. We need to approach people in humility of heart and say, I was wrong. Do you know how rare that is in the world today? When you say, look, the way that I behaved was inconsistent with my character. It's inconsistent with my profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know Jesus. And I don't want you to see just my wickedness and think that it doesn't matter to me as a Christian. I want you to know that when I stumble and fall, it matters to me because it reflects something about me that I don't want to be true. And it reflects something about Jesus that isn't true. God is holy and he is sanctifying me and I'm not perfect. And I hope that when you see failure in me, that you see that I'm growing in my faith and I'm not perfect. But I want you to know that I'm striving to be consistent in character. And I want you to know that you can trust me. That even if I sin against you, that you can trust me to do the best that I can to make things right. And so take ownership of the bad decisions you make. The next is to keep your word. If you make a promise, do everything you can to keep it. If you have been a promise breaker before, this is an opportunity now moving forward to make better decisions, to make promises, and to keep them. In our world today, sometimes people view it as an advantage to give their word and not to keep it, to exploit other people because, well, I can't believe somebody was foolish enough that they would believe that I would actually keep my word. No, 
You need to be somebody who is consistent. If you make a promise, you keep it. If you say you're going to do something, do it, no matter how trivial it is. I know that sometimes in life, especially as we age, uh, we make plans with people. And then sometimes we think, you know, it'd be really nice if somebody canceled because I could just stay at home today. I had a busy day at work. I had so much going on. But, you know, we should not be the sort of people who make promises to people or make plans and then back out of them. Do you keep the plans that you make? Do you keep the promises that you make? The next is to be consistent at all times, to grow in consistency if need be. Um, try to have an, an overarching plan to your weekly activities. You know, I, I go through the day and um, I read my Bible. I don't just read my Bible when people see. I don't just pray when people can hear it. But I am consistent in my walk with the Lord. I am striving for holiness daily. I make plans that give me opportunities to use the gifts that I have to the glory of God. I create space to build relationship with other people. I try to live out my testimony in front of people in a way that brings honor and glory to them. So be consistent at all times. And finally today, practice doing the right thing even when nobody is watching. That means that you need to not watch things on your smart device or your computer screen that you have been watching when nobody was looking. That means not laughing at some jokes that you have previously laughed at. If that means going out of your way to pick up trash when it blows out of your door, and I know that's such a trivial thing, but making sure that you don't pollute, that you go out and you, you pick it up, nobody's looking and you can get away with it. It wouldn't matter. It's not some huge crime, but you make sure that you're doing the right thing. Whatever it is, if it's, it has to start very small, make sure that you are doing the right thing even when nobody is watching. Integrity is a fundamental virtue. It is important. It matters to our fellow men and women. It matters to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can walk in integrity and enjoy the blessings that correspond with it. Next week, we're going to talk about living out our faith by talking about generosity, how you can grow in generosity, what the Bible teaches about it. I hope that these uh, discussions will better prepare you to live out your faith daily for the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you.